Hello and welcome to the Erwin Mitchell podcast. I'm Tim Rayner, I'm a partner and jointly lead the real estate disputes team at Erwin Mitchell. I'll be your host today as we discuss the new commercial rent bill and some practical thoughts for both commercial landlords and tenants. To do so, I'm delighted to be joined by my two colleagues, James Walters, an associate in our real estate disputes team, and uh, Lily Pidge, a solicitor in our restructuring and insolvency team. Welcome both. So let's set the scene. Um, with many businesses unable to operate as usual, tenants have found themselves struggling with rent debts that have built up during the pandemic. Similarly, many landlords who rely on rent for their income have seen their property values plummet or struggle with cash flow. Since March 2020, many landlords and tenants have come together to agree arrangements to address the rent debt issue. Some tenants have refused to pay when they could have done, resulting in many landlords successfully issuing debt proceedings, a remedy which the government had not previously banned, which James will no doubt come on to. However, the newly proposed commercial rents bill will, in, will ring fence the debt that has been accrued as a result of uh, the pandemic and create an entirely new process for assessing what rent should be paid. As you would expect, there is plenty of detail in the bill um, so in this short podcast, we're going to highlight the key points and offer some practical tips on how best to navigate it. So, James, perhaps you could first bring us up to speed on the current position immediately prior to the bill being introduced and then guide us through the key points in the bill and how the legal landscape has changed. Thanks, Tim. So since the uh, pandemic hit, there have been various restrictions placed, particularly on the remedies that landlords can use to recover rent from their tenants. Uh, most of these governed by the Coronavirus Act 2020. Uh, the current position is that a number of these restrictions are still in force, particularly with regards to forfeiture, commercial rent arrears recovery, and uh, various insolvency procedures. With regards to forfeiture, there is currently a mor moratorium on forfeiture which ends on the 25th of March, 2022, and that prevents landlords from forfeiting their tenants' leases for non-payment of rent. Landlords are still able to forfeit tenants' leases for issues not relating to the payment of rent. In addition, landlords are prevented from exercising commercial rent arrears recovery um, for, uh, in some circumstances, and they're also prevented from presenting winding up petitions or statutory demands against their tenants in, in other circumstances, also until the 25th of March 2022. Uh, Lily will cover the position with those insolvency procedures later. In the legal press, there have been various reported cases of landlords successfully recovering rent against their tenants in relation to arrears that, uh, that arose during the pandemic. Um, and this comes back to the basic contract law and landlord tenant principle that the tenant needs to pay their rent unless the lease uh, gives them a right to not pay their rent in certain circumstances. And that is part of the reason why the government has put the decision of how to handle the rent arrears that accrue during the pandemic into the hands of statutory arbitrators. There was a previous code of practice in place, um, which has now been replaced as a result of the bill coming uh, being, as a result of the bill being published. The previous code of practice was criticised because although in, intended to encourage good behaviour, both landlords and tenants felt that it lacked teeth, uh, as it was of little use when a dispute arose. I think what we can see from the current scheme is that it's an attempt to move away from the historic position of a landlord and tenant law where the tenant was mostly required to pay uh, rent in, in, in most circumstances unless the lease is something otherwise and instead it's turning it over to a situation where 
the tenant instead uh, is able to preserve their business if it is a viable one. And it also looks like it also looks like it's intended to dampen the economic impact uh, that would be caused if landlords uh, were to enforce all of the outstanding arrears debts that arose during COVID. The scope of the bill uh, is intended to cover what are called protected rent debts. Such debts are debts that arose during the course of the pandemic and specifically between the 21st of March 2020 and either the 28th of July 2021 in England or the 7th of August 2021 in Wales. The goal of this is to, as Tim said earlier, ring fence that period of time and the rent that arose in relation to it and then put in place this statutory scheme which is going to deal with how landlords and tenants uh, should deal with the rent. As well as the bill itself, which sets out a statutory scheme for arbitration to deal with the rent arrears, there is also a new code of practice. The code of practice sets out how landlords and tenants should approach their discussions over unpaid rent, including an expectation that they will act reasonably, transparently and in good faith. The overall message of the code is that the government expects landlords and tenants to behave reasonably and that where tenants can pay their rent in relation uh, that occurred uh, during COVID, that they should pay the rent um, if they aren't able to pay the rent, but they do have a viable business, that they should be given some relief from the rent. And while the code itself is not legally binding, it's likely that the court and any arbitrators that consider uh, these disputes uh, will take the guidance into consideration when making their decisions. One point to note in relation to protected rent debts is that it is very sector specific. What that means is that although, as I said, there's a start and an end point to this period where the protected rent uh, is incurred. So between the uh, between March and either July, uh, March 2020 and either July uh, 2021 or August 2021, that it does depend on the sector of the business. And very helpfully, the code of practice issued by the government um, in Annex A lists out uh, the different sectors and uh, both landlords and tenants should be aware of which sector they're in as it may affect um, the period of time that is covered by this new scheme. Thanks James. So Lily in terms of the scope of the bill do you have anything to add from a restructuring and insolvency perspective? Yes so from an R&I perspective I would just like to emphasise firstly that the bill is indeed very tenant friendly and the overall aim is to protect the tenant's business. However, this cannot be at the expense of landlord solvency. Similarly, the bill emphasises that a tenant should not have to restructure their business in order to pay their outstanding rent. Um, and in relation to the scope, it's important to note that the arbitration scheme does not apply to rent that is not protected rent debt. So landlords can still enforce and seek to recover arrears which accrued before COVID as well as arrears that have accrued after the end of the relevant restrictions as James just mentioned which is set out in the code of practice. Finally the scheme does not apply to non-rent liabilities so for example landlords cannot use this scheme to recover repair liabilities or enforce those liabilities. Thanks Lily. We've already heard a little bit about the arbitration scheme. Perhaps, James, you could just talk a bit more um, about that. Yes, thanks, Tim. So I'm going to run through uh, an overview of the, the arbitration scheme and how it will work. Um, so firstly, the scheme will only relate to tenancies to which part two of the Landlord and Tenant Act 1954 applies, 
what that means is that it's tenants with either security of tenure under that act or tenants with contracted out tenancies uh, but it won't apply to uh, other forms of tenancies which aren't covered by that act and also licenses to occupy property um, and most tenancies are covered by the 1954 act but there are will be some exceptions in terms of what debts are included i've already said that the the debts are related to the period between the 21st of march 2020 and either a date in july or august 2021 but uh, they, it's worth pointing out that they include both what we would call pure rent, so the rent that the landlord charges the tenant for occupying the premises, but they also include service charges and interest on rental service charges, which fell due between the relevant periods. Another key requirement of the, uh, for the scheme to come into, uh, into operation with respect to a particular dispute is that it has to, the rent has to fall on due at a time when the tenant's business or their business premises are required to close, either entirely or in part, or if they were subject to a specific restriction on the way their type of business could be run or the way in which their type of premises could be used. What this means in practice is looking at the actual uh, coronavirus regulations and restrictions that were issued by the government and considering at what points in time particular businesses were subject to the restrictions. So for example, um, uh, hospitality was largely subject to restrictions throughout the entire period from March to July 2021. By, comp uh, by comparison, pharmacies had uh, very little uh, coronavirus restriction placed upon them, obviously due to their, their key importance in, in uh, the health of the nation. So it's worth always bearing in mind that fact when considering the scope of the scheme. So if the relevant debts fall within the scheme's uh, overall ambit, then either the landlord or the tenant can refer the dispute to an arbitrator by giving notice to the arbitrator and the other party. Now, the arbitrator will be a person taken from uh, one of the bodies approved by the government. It's not currently clear uh, who will be included on that list, uh, but more detail will likely come out in the future. Either the landlord or the tenant can then refer, can refer the dispute to arbitration, uh, but it must do so within six months of the day that the bill becomes law, although the government does have the ability to extend this deadline. The person referring to the arbitrator, as well as making a request to the arbitrator and notifying the other party, needs to also submit a formal proposal uh, to the other person whether that's the landlord or the tenant. Um, and that is the, effectively their opening offer. Uh, there's also provision for the parties to make a sort of earlier notification of, uh, of their intention to, to uh, refer the matter to arbitration. The other party can, when they receive the formal proposal from the, the person who referred to arbitration, uh, can then make their own uh, response, including their own proposal within 14 days of the, the original proposal being made, and either party can revise their proposals within 28 days of making their first proposal. The idea of this is, is to get the parties to set out what their sort of starting positions are when it comes to the rent, and effectively they're making an open offer to the other party that they will consider the matter at a close if they accept one of those offers. Once the parties have made their formal proposals to each other and that process has concluded, then the it will turn to the arbitrator making an award. So an award is a binding legal decision that the arbitrator makes and it's binding on the parties uh, unless they decide to appeal the matter to the court, but they can only make that uh, appeal in, in certain circumstances.
any award that the arbitrator makes must be aimed at preserving or restoring and preserving the viability of the tenant's business so far as it's consistent with preserving the landlord's solvency. The cost involved in this process, it's not entirely clear, but um, what we know initially is that the arbitrators will be charging a fee to the parties and that that fee is paid by the person requesting the arbitration up front, but then they can claim back at least some of it from the other party uh, at the point where the arbitrator makes an award. The bill also provides that the parties must otherwise meet their own legal or other costs and the party should pay close attention to that as it may mean that they have to bear the costs of their own legal representation if they choose any uh, themselves rather than be able to recover it from the other party. The arbitrator's awards are normally going to be dealt with on paper without either party needing to attend a hearing. However, the Parties do have the opportunity to request an oral hearing if they want, but if they do so, it will incur an additional arbitrator's fee. Whether the arbitrator makes an award at a hearing or simply on paper, once they've made the award, they will send it to the parties, and at that point, it will be binding and enforceable. This is subject to any appeal that may be made under the Arbitration Act 1996, but such appeals are often quite limited in scope and limited to points of law rather than points of fact. Overall, the, the outline of the scheme is intended to provide a rough and ready way of dealing with commercial uh, rent arrears during the pandemic and to give both landlords and tenants a way to reach a binding conclusion uh, in, a, in a swift way. It's yet to be seen how this will actually work in practice. So thanks, James. Lily, I'd like to explore with you. James has mentioned two concept, con concepts of viability and solvency. And clearly one of the most important things the arbitrator will need to decide during the arbitration is whether the tenant's business is viable. How do you think viability will be assessed by an arbitrator? So to speculate, as there isn't much guidance on this, I think that the starting point is to establish whether we're talking about solvency or viability. So if we're talking about solvency, that means asking the question, can the tenant pay their debt as they fall due? So the obvious answer is no, as we have a rent debt here that is now due and which they cannot pay. So instead, we're talking about viability. And as I say, there's not much guidance on how an arbitrator can assess viability, but I think it would be sensible for arbitrators to consider it from two different angles. So the first angle would be to assess the tenant's viability as at the point of lockdown. So asking the question, but for COVID, would the tenant have continued to trade and pay their bills as they fell due? So to assess this, an arbitrator would need to look at the tenant's financial state as at the date of lockdown. Um, and of course, there'll be different dates for different businesses. So look at the date that they locked down and stopped effectively stopped trading and consider whether this business was viable at that point. Or is there evidence that this business was going down anyway? So, for example, do they have a lot of outstanding tax liabilities? So that would be one way to look at it. So the arbitrator will also need to consider whether the business 
is viable in the future. So whether the tenant will be able to pay their rent and their other debts as they fall due in the future now that COVID is hopefully finishing. So the arbitrator may consider, are there, are there any other substantial creditors of the tenant, for example, HMRC, that will wind the company up anyway? And another thing that I think arbitrators should also bear in mind is, has the business adapted to new challenges? Yes, we are hopefully coming out of COVID, but businesses aren't out of the woods yet. They're facing a lot of different challenges. So to take the example for retail, um, footfall has decreased massively during COVID. I know myself as a millennial, I've started shopping online more than ever. So what, what are retail businesses doing to combat that new challenge? Have they, for example, invested in their website? So I think the arbitrator will need to consider all of these various different factors. And what evidence do you think arbitrators will be looking at when assessing that question of viability? So that's a really good question. And again, there isn't much guidance on this. So to speculate, when determining the tenant's viability as at the date of lockdown, i.e. whether the tenant would have continued to trade and pay their bills but for COVID, an arbitrator may be looking for documents including a balance sheet. So that will help the arbitrator look at the assets and liabilities of the tenant and see if the tenant was balance sheet and balance sheet solvent at that point. Um, in addition, a profit and loss statement and also a cash flow statement. So that will help the arbitrator see whether the tenant was paying their debts as they fell due. Um, another example of a document that a landlord in particular may want the arbitrator to request from the tenant is tax statements to see if they're up to date on paying their tax, which goes to my previous point of does the tenant have any other substantial creditors and were they viable at the point of lockdown? So to summarise, this is going to be quite an intrusive procedure for the tenant, I think, having to disclose so much financial information. And what about um, evidence of viability going forward? What kind of things might the arbitrator be looking at there? So this is slightly more tricky and the documents are obviously hypothetical in their nature, given the uncertain times that we're in. Um, but I anticipate the arbitrator will again be looking to see a projected balance sheet, a projected profit and loss, and perhaps a really detailed business plan, which will show how the business is intending to invest in itself and grow again. And do you think it will be hard for tenants to produce that kind of evidence, given the unprecedented times that we're, we're in? Definitely. And landlords in particular may have objections to these documents as they're so hypothetical in their nature. So tenants will have to work really hard to provide credible supporting evidence. So, as I say, going back to the retail example, evidence in the investment in their website or evidence in investment in other areas, which is going to help this business grow. It's also important to note that the bill specifically states that any manipulation of the financial affairs of a company, either by the landlord or by the tenant, can be disregarded by the arbitrator. However, I do anticipate that this will be a costly exercise to determine as it will be tricky to prove that they have indeed manipulated their figures. And in terms of that evidence you've just mentioned, will that will that remain confidential? No, so this is really interesting. So 
Either the landlord or the tenant is at liberty to apply for an oral hearing to be conducted in public. So in theory, this would mean the commercially sensitive financial documents that I mentioned above, for example, the business plan, could theoretically be discussed during a public hearing. Um, of course, a public hearing is not mandatory, but I worry that it would be possible for one party to use this as sort of leverage and apply for the public hearing, knowing full well that the other side doesn't want their information to be discussed in public. So this could, in, in effect, put the opponent in a corner. So it's an interesting dynamic. As, as we know, arbitrations are usually conducted in private. So this new arbitration scheme is completely different. <laughs> And it throws up a lot of new issues that I don't think lawyers or certainly myself have ever considered before. Thanks, Lydia. That is that's really interesting. So having decided, let's say the tenant is viable based on the evidence that's been disclosed, um, how how do we think the arbitrator will actually make their decision? And perhaps, James, if I come to you first on that. Thanks, Tim. Uh, so once the arbitrators reach their decision about viability, based on the evidence, they'll then need to decide how they actually go about sorting out the protected rent debt. And as I said earlier, making an award, uh, which will be binding on both parties. Um, this will, of course, be decided on a case by case basis. But essentially, the arbitrator will need to try and strike a fair balance between the landlord and the tenant. For instance, if the arbitrator were to write off a lot of the debt and which helps the tenant to survive, but the consequence is that the landlord goes insolvent, then that isn't going to work. And the, the wording in the Act specifically guards against that. Alternatively, if the tenant was held liable for the full amount of the outstanding rent and themselves go insolvent, uh, then the landlord uh, would remain solvent, receive their rent, and, and the tenant would be insolvent. So that would not work either. Uh, ultimately, the arbitrator will have to find some form of middle ground. Um, the underlying philosophy of the bill, though, is that it is aimed at preserving or restoring or preserving the tenant's business, so long as it doesn't uh, damage the, the solvency of the landlord. And that suggests to us that, in fact, this is weighted in favour of the tenants, because so long as the landlord isn't going to be insolvent as a result of the, the decision the arbitrator is making, then it suggests that the arbitrator needs to focus on restoring and preserving the viability of the tenant's business so long as it is a viable business. So that would suggest that um, the arbitrator may be more minded to lean towards giving the tenant relief from at least some of the rent debt so long as it isn't going to affect the landlord's, uh, the landlord's solvency. So moving away from the arbitration scheme itself, I understand the bill has introduced some moratoriums that the landlord in particular will need to be aware of. James, could you outline um, traditional rent recovery grounds and then um, and then cover the landlord's insolvency remedies? Uh, yes, happy to. Um, so to starting with the moratorium itself, it, it will begin from the passing of the Act until six months or later if the government decides to extend that initial six month time period. Um, at present time, the bill is passing through Parliament and uh, it's it's got reached what is called the committee stage in the House of Commons. Um, so it's, it's working its way through the process and the government has said that it will aim to get the bill passed by by March 2022. Um, and so once we know that date, you'll then be able to know when the six month period starts from. 
Firstly, the moratorium deals with what's called debt claims, uh, which generally means making a claim for money by a landlord against a tenant in relation to a protected rent debt. Now, if proceedings were issued on or before the 9th of November 2021 in relation to a protected rent debt, but they have not been concluded, or alternatively, if the, the landlord has already got a judgment against the tenant, then um, those proceedings, whether moving towards a trial or for enforcement, can, can proceed as normal. This means that so long as a landlord has commenced proceedings on or before the 9th of November 2021, they will still be able to proceed as usual to obtain a money judgment against their tenant and then enforce that judgment. However, for proceedings issued on or after the 10th of November 2021, either the landlord or the tenant has the ability to apply for a stay of proceedings so that the matter can be decided via arbitration within the six month period I referred to earlier. And if the court receives an application for a stay, the court must grant that stay. Equally, the court may of its own volition decide to grant a stay if it becomes aware of the fact that a protected rent debt is being pursued by the landlord against the tenant. If a judgment is obtained by the landlord against the tenant in relation to protected rent debt, uh, in, in cases where the claim has been issued on or after the 10th of November 2021, then even though the judgment's been issued already, uh, the tenant can actually still apply for arbitration, as could the landlord, although perhaps less likely for them to do so in those circumstances. An unusual factor of the bill is that if such a claim had been issued after the 10th of November 2021 and a judgment obtained, and then the arbitrator later made an award that reduced the amount the tenant was liable for, that award will actually modify the judgment, as would an agreement between the landlord and the tenant, which will result in a reduction in the total arrears owing. If a landlord has obtained a judgment prior to the 10th of November 2021, uh, the bill makes it clear that it is not affected by the arbitration scheme or the moratorium. In this case, the landlord is free to enforce the judgment debt as normal. It's also worth pointing out that if the landlord and the tenants have reached an agreement to settle the rent debt at any point, then the debt will not be affected by the scheme. Uh, this can include agreements reached after the arbitration scheme has come into force, but also before. And so landlords and tenants would be wise to have kept records of any agreements reached in relation to such arrears so that they can show that the scheme should not apply or should apply depending on which way uh, they wish to proceed. The bill also introduces a further moratorium on the use of commercial rent arrears recovery which is the ability of a landlord after giving notice to enter the tenant's premises and seize certain goods and use those to pay a rent debt that is owed to the landlord. The bill also includes a further moratorium on the use of forfeiture in relation to non-payment of rent debts uh, and that will also end six months after the uh, after the bill comes into law. This forfeiture moratorium that will be coming into force uh, in this new bill uh, may potentially run alongside with the existing moratorium on forfeiture uh, which is in the Coronavirus Act 2020. Uh, the, the difference between the two moratoriums is that the moratorium in the bill only relates to a protected rent debt, whereas at present the Coronavirus Act 2020 moratorium uh, relates to all claims uh, for forfeiture in relation to non-payment of any rent, whether uh, incurred before, during or after uh, the relevant COVID period. 
And uh, Lily, would you like to, to come on to uh, uh, the insolvency remedies and how the moratorium has affected them? So the new moratorium will come into force a day after on the 1st of April 2022, and it essentially widens the scope. So now it is only protected rent debts that are prohibited. So what that means is essentially lockdown debt. So landlords will be able to enforce um, against rent arrears that accrued before lockdown and also after the end of the relevant lockdown. And what's the position in relation to bankruptcy petitions? So bankruptcy petitions are also prohibited if the petition is based upon a statutory demand or debt proceedings which relate to a protected rent debt. The moratorium for this one has already started. So that started on the 10th of November 21 and is due to end six months after the implementation of the bill. So if the bill does come into force in March 22, it should end in September 22. Um, and in relation to bankruptcy orders, um, any bankruptcy order made between the 10th of November 21 um, up until the implementation of this act, so roughly March 22, will be void. So it's unclear what the consequences of this will be in respect of a trustee in bankruptcy's costs. So that is definitely something important for insolvency practitioners to bear in mind when being appointed as a trustee in bankruptcy. Thanks. And are there any moratoriums in relation to IVAs or CVAs? And I'll let you explain what they stand for. Yes, so once an arbitrator has come to a decision, this cannot be compromised by a company voluntary arrangement, so a CVA, or an individual voluntary arrangement, so an IVA, or a restructuring plan for a period of 12 months after the arbitration award. Thanks very much. So I, mean, I think what's very clear to me is that there is a huge amount of detail um, in this bill. Um, so what I'm going to ask you to do, um, very difficult um, thing to do, but to perhaps just give your overriding message or, or takeaways from from this bill. And James, if, if perhaps if you go first. Thanks, Tim. I think the the underlying philosophy uh, in the bill is to protect viable tenant businesses, but it is at the expense of landlords with outstanding debts. Um, I would say that the bill is tenant friendly and is ultimately aimed at protecting the economy by preventing landlords with justifiable uh, renters' debts from enforcing them, which would ultimately lead to the, the closure of the tenants' businesses. And it's clear that the government is trying to protect the economy and to uh, not allow uh, those debts to, to stifle economic growth uh, as we sort of exit the, hopefully, the, uh, the tail end of the pandemic. What's also very, what's very clear from the structure of the arbitration procedure is that it's aimed to to push the landlords and tenants to talk to each other if they haven't already and to try and reach a resolution and the formal offers procedure within the within the arbitration scheme is aimed at getting them to put their cards on the table uh, and to try and narrow the gap uh, in any negotiations and try and reach a settlement but what i would emphasize is that both landlords and tenants should try to have their own negotiations well in advance of this scheme coming into force and if they can to reach an agreement without it um, the scheme is quite unprecedented in the way that it affects landlord and tenant relations and there are a number of uncertainties about how it will operate thanks james so lily from a restructuring insolvency perspective what are your takeaways from this bill 
Yes, so I completely agree with James. It is a very tenant friendly scheme that's been introduced here um, and specifically in relation to assessing the tenant's viability I do worry that it's going to be very easy for the tenant to show that they've been affected by Covid which may not actually be the case which is why it's going to be so important for an arbitrator to look at evidence so for example balance sheet profit and loss statements as at the date of lockdown to assess whether the tenant's business was actually viable at that point even before Covid. This does beg the question, how can a company be deemed viable if it can't pay all of its debt? So this just goes to show how unprecedented this legislation could be. So with this in mind, from a landlord's perspective, it may be better to do a deal. However, it is obviously going to be very intrusive for the tenant too, in the sense that they are going to have to disclose a lot of financial information and some of that information may actually somehow end up being discussed in a public hearing. So to conclude, my final takeaways would be to remind landlords that they do still have a few limited options in light of this very tenant friendly scheme. So, for example, landlords can still pursue pre and post lockdown rent arrears. Landlords can still pursue arrears against tenants who operated during COVID. So not all businesses had to shut during lockdown. Um, and also landlords can and will be able to pursue tenants who are not deemed viable. Lily, James, thank you very much for your um, time today and for really bringing the bill um, to life. It's been fascinating. Um, that's it for today. Thank you for listening to this Owen Mitchell podcast. If you found it interesting, please do join us for our next session. Thank you.